0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the Good News, the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 5. Let's share in God's good word together. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome everybody, and welcome to those of you online. My name's Pastor Mark, I'm founding pastor here. We're so glad to see you, have you with us this day. And so let me ask you a question. That's, a, that's an interesting text, isn't it? Why would a group of men pick up and carry a paralyzed man across town, break into a home through the roof, and lower him by ropes before Jesus? Why would they do that? One word. Hope. None of that happens without hope. His friends had more hope than he had. They had more faith in what would happen than he had. And it was their faith that brought him life. And your faith can bring life to someone else. I love the way Leonard Sweet puts it. He says, life falls into place when Jesus gets first place. Will you say that with me? Life falls into place when Jesus gets first place. Today we're talking about the hope of courage the hope of courage. We are in a sermon series uh, about courage, how to live a brave life. And so we we started about four weeks ago now. On week one, we learned that courage is not the absence of fear. It is the right ordering of fear. Uh, I learned this in my moral theology class um, all the way back in the '90s, and I remember uh, really having my mind sort of blown about what bravery and courage was. And, and so, so often you, you sort of see these things like brave heart, and you know you just go up against all odds, and no matter what's going on, you're brave. And uh, the folks of wisdom over the centuries said, no, 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 courage is the right ordering of fear. If you just go out and do something crazy and it's not good, that's not brave. It's evil. We want to be people who bring life, not take away from it. So one of the ways that helps us have courage, we learned in week one, is clarity. Clarity helps courage rise. So clarity on what God is asking us to do empowers God God to give us courage and for that to rise to the top in our life. So clarity. And clarity helps us know if we know what we're about, we also have to know what we're not about. And so here at Acts 2, we have three core values. The first is to welcome all. The second is to love authentically. And the third is to let your light shine. We we talk about those all the time around here. So we're very clear on what our core values are. And, of course, this is modeled beautifully by Jesus. Jesus, when he comes out of the wilderness, uh, goes to the synagogue and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. That's what Jesus is about. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and he sits down. He's ready to teach about what his life is about. He's very clear that he was good news to the poor. In the circles we, we run in, I've, I've heard it said like this, if it's not good news to the poor, it's not good news. Because we are good news to the poor. That's what Jesus is about. I love the way Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, put it. He says, every church should be able to get a letter of recommendation from the poor in their community. Amen. Right? It should be very clear. This is one of the litmus tests of, of whether your church is following the core mission of Jesus. Are we, Acts 2 United Methodist Church, good news to the poor in our community? I certainly hope so. I would think so. Uh, with the resources we pour into Edmond Mobile Meals and the Hope Center and the Regional Food Bank and, and, and healing and um, ministries to the poor both here in town and around the world. It, Are we good news to the poor? It's a very, very important question. So that was week one. There's a lot in week one. Week two is this. Conviction. Pastor Brandon talked to us about conviction. And conviction assures us the price we pay is worth it. That yes, it can be difficult. Yes, it can be hard. And it can be confusing. But the conviction lets us know it's worth it. What we're doing with God and God's power, it's worth it. And conviction comes from God's truth. It enables us to choose Courage over comfort. Will you say that last line with me? Courage over comfort. And of course, if you don't have some discomfort, it's not really courage, right? I mean, you need some discomfort to make, to make that choice of if it's courageous or not. Otherwise, it's just living, right? So it's courage over comfort. And in week three, uh, we learned about candor. That was last week. Candor is so important. It's something that we're losing in our culture all the time. How do you have a frank, difficult conversation that's productive, Right? Not just talking past one another, uh, not just hurting one another, but being open, honest, direct, or frank in speech and conversation. Uh, this comes from Reverend Tom Berlin's book on courage. Many of you all are in small groups uh, these weeks and reading that book along with us. Uh, it's one of the source materials for these sermons. Uh, I recommend Tom's work to you. He's a wonderful colleague. We got to see him in person just a few months ago uh, and talked about this sermon series and uh, what he was doing at his church at Flourish United Methodist Church uh, over on the East Coast. And when he talked about candor, he said this. He said, when we fail at candor, we pass down problems. Right? That, I mean, that's, that's the hard truth of it. That Many of us, myself included, we don't like hard conversations. We don't want to have to do those. But if we don't have them, then nothing gets resolved. It just gets passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. Somebody has to step up and make things right. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the prophets came to do, to make the crooked places straight, the Scripture says. And those places don't straighten out themselves. It takes candor. It takes direct, difficult conversations in love and kindness and in gentleness. But still, you have to have them. So if we fail to repair harm that happens in a moment, and that could be um, in your childhood, it could be yesterday. Yesterday. If we fail to repair the harm, it becomes a wound carried for a lifetime. And and you know this in your own life. You had a a slight and you thought you'd let it go, but you never talked to the person about it. And next thing you know, the, the relationship's not healed. You think it will, but it's not. And then you think it will and it's not. And then before you know it, the relationship is over. Because it wasn't repaired. It becomes a wound that you continue to carry until you choose to repair it. Just the way it is. A good friend of mine uh, in this church, she said it to me like this. She said, Mark, you can't heal what you don't feel, and you can't feel what you medicate. Right? So we say that with me? You can't heal what you don't feel, and you can't feel what you medicate. That's worth memorizing and putting in your life. Because that is a life-changing piece right there, my friends. This candor to begin to heal, to allow ourselves to feel the real things going on in our lives, to be truthful about that, to have clarity about that, and then to move through it rather than to medicate it. Now, in these conversations, there's always a danger, right? There's always a shadow side to these things. And here's the deal, friends. Candor is not permission to be ugly or mean or rude. It does no one any good, right? Right? We need to have the conversations. We need to be truthful with our conversation. We need to be wise about when and where and how we have those conversations. But it's not permission or license to be not like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus. That's why we're here, right? To become more like our master and savior Jesus. So this week, all of this requires hope. Courage requires hope. It's hope that gets us up in the morning. It's hope that keeps us going through the day. It's hope that allows us to rest our heads on our pillows at night, knowing that we have a second chance at life the next day. So hope is knowing God will show us what to do when we need to do it, not before. It's interesting, isn't it? God never lays out the entire life for you or for me or even for Jesus, for anyone. It's just enough for the day. In the Old Testament, they talked about it in terms of manna, just enough for the day. And if if the people of God got too greedy and they tried to hold more of it, it would just spoil. You only have enough for today. It's a way to keep us in relationship dependent with God Almighty. So we know it's God's work, not our own. God will show you what you need right when you need it. And it is not hope in ourselves. It's not grit. It's it's been really popular lately. I don't know if you've seen the TED talk. I've watched it a number of times. That you know more than anything else in life. You want to know who's going to succeed? It's those kids with grit. It's those kids that just keep going. It's those kids that can fall down, make mistakes, understand it, get up, and try again. That's what makes people successful, uh, more than being uh, smart uh, or healthy or any of these things. It is this ability to continue on, right? To to get back up one more time. This is what makes people great and strong and difference makers in the world but here's the problem friends we're all humans we're all going to die we're we're not superstars we're not god and so this this hope it's not in ourselves not at all and paul knew that this would be a temptation for everyone on the planet and so paul writes to the early church in ephesus he says it's by grace that you've been saved through faith right it's grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing no, it's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It is a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. Friends, This is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about how strong or great you are or even how developed or mature you are in your faith. It is about God's gift in you. And then Paul continues. He says, for we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it's not the good works themselves that lift us up. It's the faith of God. It's the faith of community. It's the faith of those around you. It's the faith of your local church. And through that, you are to be empowered to go out into the world for what? Good works. That's why you're here. Did you know that? That you're actually here in training to be able to go out there for good works. It is my job to empower you for ministry. That is how the church is to work. To equip the people For the ministry of God in the world. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand to be what? What we do on Sunday? No. To be, say it with me, our way of life. This be our way of life. To be empowered by God, to receive the Holy Spirit, and then to go out and do good works in Jesus' name. To be our way of life. Our way of life. And so this hope, not in ourselves, not in our good works, but that God is faithful. Right? That God is faithful. Will you say that with me? God is faithful, and you can bank on that. You can have hope in that. You can live into that. So our hope is the assurance, the sure knowledge that God is faithful, even when we are not, even when we have a bad day, even when we stub our toe or we're not feeling so well. So 1 John says it like this. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light, as Jesus himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. We're back to that community piece. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Again, it's back to Jesus. So if we confess our sins, Jesus, who is faithful and just, not that we are faithful and just, that Jesus, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins, make us right with God, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this this big word, righteousness, is really confusing sometimes. And so... It might help you. It helps me sometimes. Rather than reading it as unrighteousness, it's just unrightness. Right? Just anything that you're not right in, God makes that right if you'll allow it. So God can forgive you and make those crooked places straight in your lives, crooked places straight in your communities. Tom Perlin puts it this way. He says, hope is the capacity to carry the expectation of the fulfillment of a task while working diligently and waiting patiently for an outcome that is in keeping with God's goodness Righteousness and justice. How good are you at waiting patiently? It's a sort of a lost skill these days, waiting patiently. But there's a difference in our waiting. If we wait with hope, it can change the world, change your life. And there's a big difference, friends, between a hope and a wish. Hope is not a wish, right? I can wish that it snows in about an hour. That's not going to happen. It doesn't snow in Oklahoma when it's 60 degrees or or whatever it's going to be today, right? That's just a wish. But there are things I can hope in because I know the way God works. I know what I've seen God do in the past, and I can trust that God is faithful to do those same sorts of things again, even if I don't know the exact way it's going to turn out, the exact result. I can know the direction, but not the result. So those of you who know me well know that I am a nut about spring flowers. I love it. As a spiritual discipline, I plant little ugly bulbs every October, early November, and if I'm not careful, early December, right? And I put them in the ground, and I put them in the ground, and I put them in the ground, and I don't know whether they're going to come up. I think they will. I hope they will. And I do the things that I have to do to ensure that that will happen. Dirt, water, light, fertilizer, and the right kind of bulbs. And you know what happened about mm, about 10 days ago? I got some shoots. I got some shoots. They're coming up. You know what those are? Daffodils. Aren't they lovely? That's the other thing about hope. God starts to do something. You're like, that's not what I had in mind. And God's like, hold on. Hope with me. Wait with me. I'm doing something. And can you believe that that ugly little bulb that sat in my garage for months before I put it in the ground becomes a little shoot? And you know what my experience has been? Nothing's bloomed this year, of course, because that's not going to happen until, you know, March, April, May. Some of these little guys, they look like that. Right, The sun comes behind them and they just glow beautifully. And, and others of them look, look like that. And it's just this sort of this pristine, beautiful, you know, white flower. And some of them look like that. Those are, doubles. Those are some of my favorite. Like you never know. Sometimes they just get snuck in the bag and boop. You know, you, you, oh, there's one of those. That's really cool. Or, and sometimes you even have like things you didn't even expect. Like peach and white. They just, they just come up. And yes, these are all my daffodils. Right? <laughs> and if you do it just right... All this can come together in a beautiful bouquet of what God's doing in your life. But you have to plant them first. You have to buy them first. You have to put them in the ground. You have to give them water and light. The love doesn't hurt. And they watch them and bless them. And know that they don't, they don't last forever. Particularly in Oklahoma wind, they don't last forever. That's why I plant daffodils instead of tulips. Tulips last like four hours. Right? But you don't know what God's going to do, but you know sort of what God is going towards, what God's doing, what God looks like, even though you don't get to choose exactly what comes out of the ground. That's up to God. And what comes out of your life is and isn't up to you. You do the sorts of things for beautiful things to come out of your life, and God pulls that through. And you hope in the sure knowledge that God has done that before with you and with other people that you know and your ancestors before you. Napoleon Hill, uh, an American author uh, years ago, put it like this. He says, there's a difference between wishing for a thing and being ready to receive it. Amen? I mean, it's very different. Very different. Uh, And my family growing up uh, in church circles, we said it like this. If you're going to pray for rain, bring an umbrella. Right? You ever go to to one of those pray for rain things uh, and everybody's just standing there? Nobody's got a rain jacket or an umbrella or anything else. That's a wish. If you're going to hope, then, then let's be prepared for the result of which we're praying. Paul writes it like this to the early church in Rome. He says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Again, not in ourselves. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Well, that doesn't sound right. Knowing that suffering produces, endurance endurance produces hope, and character produces hope, and, say this with me, hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So yeah, our hope's not in ourselves, it's in Jesus. And what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for the transformation of the world. And friends, make no mistake about this, that personal transformation always precedes corporate transformation the world is not transformed unless the people of god are transformed your family system doesn't get better until you get better or someone else in your family system gets better right your personal transformation your hope we all have to be on this journey together for the transformation of the world it's not a wish it's a hope In which we work. And sometimes that works very difficult. And sometimes that works very fun and easy. It just depends on the day. And again, we don't know and we won't know exactly what that result looks like. But we can trust that it's good. And that it will be good. And of course, we've learned this in beautiful ways here. Uh, Back in 1999, uh, when I was a young man. uh, This is Chantel and and our two boys. Noah was uh, a couple months old there, if that. And uh, that's the corner down here at Penn and Covell. And it was just just a farm, just a horse farm. Nothing out here. Not even utilities. Nothing. Uh, and we bought the land for three thousand nine hundred and fourteen dollars an acre at that time. It's gone up since then, by the way. Right. And when we would meet out here to hope that God would do something out here when we paid off the land, right? We would meet under a tent that we borrowed um, from Chantel's family and the, their church up in Tulsa. And I would drive it down, and we would set it up, and we we. You know borrow some chairs from first Methodist uh, here and um, they were very helpful to us and we put those down and we'd have service under a tent. And we would pray together that God would do something we would hope together that we would be in God's will and keep moving towards God. And we would put down these these little stakes and they would say things like I pray that the children raised in this building will be light in the darkness and open their hearts and homes to anyone in need. Now that's a vision. But the people of our church, the children of our church, will come to know Christ so we can be light in the darkness, let our light shine, and open our hearts to anyone who has need, and not only our hearts, but our homes, to make it real. And so we met, and uh, many of you all were here, fulfilling the dream. We put stakes in the ground, and, and we actually, you know, would mark out what the chapel would look like at that time. Um, and thanks to uh, Linda Carter, we have this photo, thanks Linda, and, um, and there we are. That's um, 2005. Church is six years old at that point, four years officially. We weren't chartered till '01, and and we prayed that those children would grow in the church and be light. And you know what? It happened. That's youth group just a few years ago, back in the chapel. But friends, change doesn't just happen. It's not a wish. There's a lot of work that comes in buying the land, a lot of work that comes in, in creating the chapel, it's a lot of work, working with the youth group and going to camp and doing those things, and it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and you have the opportunity and the blessing to be a part of it. It's an incredible honor and privilege. But we have to do the work. We have to be wise about it. My coach, Bob Logan, would, would say it like this. He says, Mark, if your plan doesn't require God's action, it's not from God. And if your plan requires a miracle at every step, it's not a plan. That's a wish. And it's easy for us to say, oh, well, God will take care of it. God will do it and sit back. No, 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 no. If it takes a miracle at every step, it's not a plan. That's just a wish. It takes both. So how do we do this? How do we live a brave life? So let's go back to the scripture we started with. One day, while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal and, and he was doing it. That's why the house gets crowded. Just then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed, and they were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, because there were a lot of folks being healed. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. We got that far. But look what comes next. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the Scripture says when he saw What? Their faith. Is it the faith of the paralyzed man on the bed? No. Now, this is super important, friends. Your faith on behalf of someone else can change their life. Do you know that? Your faith, in the same way that maybe your grandma's faith, your parents' faith, changed your life. Your faith can change other people's lives. And that's good news. We are to be good news, particularly to the poor. So when Jesus saw their faith, he says to the man on the mat, friend, your sins are forgiven. Because in that day, it was absolutely connected that sin and sickness were tied. Everybody knew that. If you were sick, you had to have sinned, and everybody wanted to know how and why and when. And how do they stay away from that sin so that they're not sick like you. Right? That's how they thought of it. So Jesus, to make everything clear, says, okay, he's forgiven. He can be healed. The man receives that healing. So here's the thing about this. Do what you can do. Lower your friend down in the mat. And trust that God will do what only God can do. The healing, the wholeness. Into your life, into your community. Tom Berlin says it like this. He says, when the hope is lost, it's time to find Jesus. That's what the friends knew. When, when the man on the mat had no more hope, they brought him to the feet of Jesus. And they trusted that Jesus would do what he'd been doing all day long healing and helping and loving and making things right, making the crooked places straight, because he came to do what he said he came to do, to be good news to the poor. One of the the great preachers in my life, Clayton Farrell, he would say it like this. He said, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on, and Jesus will find you. And I always have to say this because there is this, this sort of Western notion that even our salvation is up to us somehow. It's, it's, it's our faith. It's not. We have, we have a part to play, but it's not our faith. The scripture's really clear about that. And so often we'll, we'll be in these evangelistic efforts and, and we'll go all around the world trying to make sure that everybody knows Jesus. And, and that's not bad. That's a good thing. But friends, also know this. Jesus is much bigger than that. Jesus is much bigger than that. And one of the ways I found that was in 2015, our church uh, sent me to Turkey to work with Syrian refugees. And it was very, very difficult. I mean, we, we talk about hope around here as if, you know, I hope I make an A instead of a B. N- nothing wrong with that, but that's not what Jesus came for. Right? I mean, we've got we to get this right. Jesus came to an oppressed people who had been overrun by a foreign government and they had no hope. They were running for their lives as these folks were running for their lives, mainly children and women. And... These are the folks that I came in contact with, and they were looking for some hope. This girl says, please, me and my family need help, wife and girls. We're from Syria, and we're here because of war. We have no place to be safe. Thank you. May God help you help us. I was there before that girl by God to help her in that moment. I gave her all the food that I had at the moment. Came up to me right outside my hotel room. In a busy city. Imagine how desperate and fearful you must be to walk up to a complete stranger of a different nationality. And just hold this out and hope they know how to read it. As a tiny little girl. That's the situation they were in. And so I met all of these kids. Um, wandering from place to place. Getting moved from place to place. And I came across one of the men that was helping to lead them. His name was Ibrahim. Alliteration for Abraham. And so we, we asked him, we, we said, you know, we're, we're here to help. And they're like, what brings you here? We're like, Jesus. I said, do you know him? And they're like, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. And I'm like, well, but you're Muslim. How do, how do you know Jesus? He said, how do you think I got here? When the bomb started to fall, Jesus appeared to me in a dream and said, go this way, not that way. And I did, just like God said to Joseph, go this way, not that way. And he did for the salvation of Jesus. And he said, then we would get to the next town and then Jesus would show up in a dream either to me or to someone else in our community and Jesus would say, go this way, not that way. And we would find food or we would find shelter because we know Jesus. And they don't know him like I know him. It's very different, right? I've never been running for my life from bombs. Jesus, there wasn't a necessity for Jesus to come to me in a dream and say, go this way, not that way. But make no mistake, if you're lost, Jesus will find you. He loves you that much. He'll find you. He'll find you. The question is, will you be open to it? But that's an extreme case, friends. It's much better for you to bring your friends to him. So that all the world will know that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords and is in every place and every time and every village. See, never forget that our hope is in Jesus. Jesus. He was always with us wherever we go and of course that's what Jesus promises us in the great commission. He says Jesus came to said to them this is the last chapter in Matthew, all authority in heaven how much authority all of it in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all of it. Everything that I've commanded you and remember, Jesus says what? I'm with you always. I'm with you always. There's no if, and, or, but around that. I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the good news. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, one of the ways is that you connect yourself to people of wisdom and of peace. It's much easier to hope in Jesus if you're around other people who have hope in Jesus, who know his ways, who know him personally, who speak with him daily. People of wisdom and of peace. And and friends, you you can also reverse engineer this, by the way. If you know people who are unwise and never have peace in their life, more likely than not, they're not a follower of Jesus, even if they say they are. Because the fruits of the Spirit are things like wisdom and peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things of God and the followers of God. So you might say, well, okay, well, how do I take a step down that road? Today, before you go to bed, I hope you'll do this. Simply take a piece of paper, maybe a sticky note, and write down three times in your life when God has helped you. Just think about that. When has God helped you? God helps you all the time, but you have to think about it. In the Old Testament, they would set up altars, and they would celebrate, and they would have feast days. We don't do that anymore, but we need to remember that God is faithful. God has helped us, and then celebrate it with a friend today because that's how our faith is shared. God did this in my life. I want to celebrate that with you. And then finally, again, these things don't just happen by themselves. It takes initiative, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen. The people of God, a mission of God, to do God's redemptive work in the world. That's why the church exists. Not for ourselves, but to be about the business of God. And so in just a moment, in in case this is sort of confusing or you're not sure what I mean by all of this, I want to share a video with you. If you're here in the room, you don't have to do anything. Um, But if you're online, I hope that you'll um, click on this QR code with your phone. And that way you can just follow right along with us uh, as we conclude the sermon together. Many of you all know that I'm a big Steve Hartman fan. He comes on uh, CBS every Friday. Um, And I was thinking, well, how do you share about hope and what hope looks like and courage today? And I was really grateful that a few weeks ago, Steve Hartman showed me. Because who else is there to do it? Someone needs to. Someone needs to step up and do it. In your home, in your life, in this church, in your community, in our state, and in your nation, and in the world. Because who else is there to do it? If not the people of God, on mission for God, who are good news to the poor. Amen? Amen.